Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, so um, stuff, busyness, stories, and we're going to go to uh, another aspect of letting go that all of us experience and have to deal with at some points in our life. And that is uh, the letting go that comes because everything is impermanent in this world and we lose people and things that are dear to us and near to us. As I, I said in the, those five reflections, uh, everything 
near and dear to me will become separated from me. That's part of the curriculum that we're given. How do we deal with it? Mm. This is where the rubber really hits the road. Right? And it's, it has such an impact on us because we can love. You know? that's, that's the good news, you know, that we really care, that we really feel a connection with, with people in our lives and beings in our lives, pets as well, which can, for, can be as, as deep a loss as, as humans, um, because we have this capacity to care so much. So there's a, there can be a, a kind of celebration or rejoicing in that, oh, wow, I can care, I can feel. But if it defines you, if it um, is the central story in your, in your life, this happened to me or I lost this, this loved one, this being, uh, I, you know, either I, I can't find a reason to go on or I, I, uh, it, it's too, too much to go on, then... Um, Beyond the natural grieving process, which we have to respect, which we can't hurry, which is, which is important, um, when it becomes defining of our life, then um, th this, is not, this becomes not so helpful. There's a story from um, Marpa, the great Tibetan uh, teacher who uh, was a householder, and his, um, his son died, and there he was um, tilling in the fields, and, uh, and he was weeping, and one of his students came up and said, Marpa, uh, why, uh, why, are you, why are you weeping? You know, you've taught us so eloquently that everything is empty, that it's all an illusion, and, uh, and, and, and you're, but you're crying, you're weeping, you know. And Marpa says, yes, it's all an illusion, and the losing of one's child is the saddest of all the illusions. And so I cry, you know. So it's not like you can just kind of bypass this and say, okay, let's get over it. We feel deeply, and we need to grieve. We need to, 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 to honor that loss. And at some point, we need to let go of the attachment and continue with the love that's in there to kind of transmute it into something beautiful. I think, uh, yeah, I think I'll, I'll share for me one of the most moving stories in, in the book about my friend uh, Nancy. I shared this yesterday. We were talking about hard things that open the heart. My friend Nancy, who uh, comes, comes here every February, uh, I first met her 12, going on 13 years ago. She came to a retreat, um, and she had experienced 
one of the greatest tragedies that anyone can imagine. Her beautiful 14-year-old daughter, Julia, uh, took her life when she was 14. This is 12 and a half years ago. And uh, Nancy, um, who's given me permission to use her name and who is also, um, well, I'll, I'll tell you in a moment, um, just this amazing person. She came to the retreat. It was at the year anniversary. And uh, just finding, how can I go on? Because it took her a while to go through all the pain and the guilt and the rage and the shame and the, all those feelings you can imagine. Because this, her daughter, Julia, was the, this light of her life. Right? And uh, I got to know her really well. She was committed to waking up. She, and she was committed to somehow, there was something even stronger than all of her pain that said, how can I make sense of this? Right? And um, those first few years, she was willing to go through all the pain and just sit there with it and have all the support she could get, sit there with it, feel it, and just keep on in the direction of awakening. It took her about, oh, three or four years, really, to process all of it. So I'm not saying this is, when I say all of it, to, to process enough so that she came back to life. And when she did, um, she kind of turned a corner at some point and said, if I freeze frame my life in this moment, that doesn't honor Julia and this bright light that she was to me, and it doesn't honor whatever gifts I've been given and, um, and that I can still live my life. And so I, wanted, I want to do something that honors, honors her. I want to keep on living. I want to feel everything, and I want to um, go in the direction of greater well-being and happiness. And she started to volunteer at this grief uh, support center that was so helpful for her as she went through her own process. And uh, for the last uh, eight years, she's worked with, um, with parents who've lost their children. And she, after about four or five years, she wrote me this card, which I'll read in a moment, which was on a, I have it in my, in my house, these, these, this little uh, kid with these five Chinese peasants, most of uh, all of them, they hardly have any teeth left, but they've got all this, this incredible smiles, just you know, beaming with joy, laughing at this kid who's just you know, being this five-year-old kid. And uh, it says, uh, the card is, joy is, it's the Richard uh, Richard Wagner quote, joy is not in us, uh, joy is not in things, it's in us. And then um, she wrote me this, this on this card. And she said, among other things, she said, I've received a gift that is beyond words. I've witnessed my deepest despair, the darkest, most wounded quarters of my heart and learned not to flinch or back away. I rested in love and even tasted joy 
all the while still knowing the sorrow of my loss. A few days ago, I held a bereaved mother in my arms as she sobbed. She had lost her son to suicide. I held her to my heart as she held on for dear life. And as I rocked her, it was as if I was rocking Julia, rocking myself, rocking the broken hearts of all beings. In that rocking, in that holding, we were all held in one heart. I've been so blessed. She is this bright light that you just love being around, radiant. And she actually, she, she wrote an amazing paper recently uh, on, on how grief and, and, and uh, loss can so dissolve our identities and our sense of self that for a while we don't know who we are, but there's an incredible opportunity there because all your identity and yourself is gone, and there can be like this. It can be like this chrysalis of uh, of of turning into a butterfly, and she has done that. Every February she comes on February twelfth, the anniversary of her daughter's passing, and we ring the bell right out here in the meadow a hundred and eight times. And she cries, and we talk about Julia. It's not that that's no longer part of her. She feels it. The loss is still there. The pain is still there. But she has found some meaning in it and given back to life and somehow transformed that loss into something beautiful. And I think this is what we're called on to do when we go through our, those losses in our life, to not let go of the love or even let go or try to get rid of the pain, but to transform it into something else. So um, in our losses, in our grieving, in our uh, sadness, there is a gift that can happen and lessons that we learn that we probably couldn't learn any other way. So first I just want to invite you to close your eyes and think, reflect on some challenging lessons that you've gone through. Loss of a loved one, loss of something near and dear to you that has become separated from you. And you might pick something that has been somehow processed. If you're still in the middle of it, then um, uh, pick something else. And just reflect, what lessons have I learned through going through this loss? How have I grown? What have been the gifts?
how is it possible to transform that pain or that grieving into something useful for me or for others? So I think rather than doing a dyad, we can just have a little, uh, a general conversation. What gifts, or can put it a different way, uh, how is that letting go uh, process um, unfolded for you in a way that, uh, that's given you whatever lessons you've needed to? Any way that this that the, you get the idea of of the um, of where I'm going, just what's come up for you? How do, how do you work with letting go? Where's uh, okay? And you know, you got you got deep samadhi there. Who's uh, there over there by the wall, Brendan? Raise your hand. Yeah. Go ahead. Ellen. Um, feeling the pain. Feeling that, the pain. Feeling the pain. That uh-huh. has been the, the number one thing that I've learned after going through losses is feeling the pain and knowing that it's okay and that it's healthy to feel that pain and to like live through it and feel it and know that's the healthy part about it. Okay. Not fighting it. Okay. Beautiful. So that, that is the key one. Just like we would do on a retreat to say, okay, this is what's here. Let me feel this instead of running away. That's an absolute essential part of it. What else? All the way in the back. Uh, Brendan, all, all the way in the back over there. Yeah. And right next to the wall. Um, I would say that um, it was really important for me to realize that you cannot save people from their own pain. That um, trying to to rescue or um, bring someone through their own process, um, no matter what they choose for their outcome or how they choose to live their life is really important that you cannot choose their path for them. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. This is the equanimity practice, the, the classical equanimity uh, phrases that say, you are the owner of your karma, your happiness and unhappiness depends on your actions, not solely on my wishes for you. And what that really says is, I honor your journey. Everybody has their own karmic journey to, to live, and it's not up to us to, uh, to rescue. We can do what we can, as much support as we can, but it's not up to us to, uh, to take it away. Thank you. 
Thank you. Um, I think in addition to feeling in, in addition to feeling pain, mm -hmm. is that I guess it's it's for me it was really learning to stand fully in the entire experience, some of which was very painful, some of which was very uncertain. It was a sense of groundlessness that yeah. that I really hadn't uh, allowed myself to experience in that way before, mm -hmm. and that. I knew enough that I knew it was um, a real opportunity for growth. And so there was that, that being willing to stay in it no matter how uncomfortable it was because I could see that, that there was a possibility of moving beyond it at some point in time, even though I couldn't determine the pacing. Mm -hmm. And I found that I had to be willing to go back in and out and in and out, and there were moments of comfort, and then there were mm -hmm. great moments of uncertainty again. Mm -hmm. um, but that it was through that experience that I learned much about, um, much about myself, some of which I didn't much like, some of which I built on and and have um, over time recognized that so often it's very difficult to change unless there's a real um, painful stimulus <laughs> often prompting you mm -hmm. to, f to force you to move and to move on and that uh, sometimes that's what the opportunity is about mm -hmm. in that crisis moment yeah thank you yeah crisis danger plus opportunity is it's the chinese characters i'm told and uh and the buddha says that suffering shakes you out of he doesn't say it quite like this but the gist is suffering shakes you out of your complacency out of thinking oh everything is hunky-dory and just kind of waking you up and that suffering <clears throat> we talked about this yesterday in one list, suffering can lead to faith, can lead to gladness, can lead to joy, can lead to happiness, contentment, and full liberation. That's suffering. How many people have come to spiritual journey because they wanted to find answers to their suffering? Okay. That's how it works, just right there. Whoa, what's going on? Holy cow, how do I make sense of this? And so, and there is that, those times that you're completely <coughs> groundless and being willing to be completely in the middle of the void and then realizing, oh, I've survived. That's, that's pretty amazing. Yeah. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, right behind you. Yeah. And, and then after, yeah. My husband and I moved to Mexico about five years ago in a town uh, called San Miguel de Allende. And uh, so I've learned the challenge of maintaining a loving relationship with family members from a distance, uh, in particular with, with our son, who... Uh, was was married uh, about four months ago uh, to a woman who I 
I've had reservations about and really question how happy he's going to be, how happy they will be. And I have held back expressing my feelings. So I've had a lot of stuff bottled up that I'm, I'm in the process of letting go of it. Um, I was quite proud of myself last night, actually, after uh, yesterday's retreat of you writing were, you a letter. Were here yesterday during the day. Yes, wow. writing a letter to my daughter-in-law with as heartfelt feelings uh, as as I could express, mm. and just getting closer to acceptance mm. mm-hmm. and, and uh, surrendering mm-hmm. to. This is my son's choice, mm-hmm. and this this is the the woman that he is going to. <clears throat> well, my voice is breaking up. Uh, I also have some health issues that that I'm dealing with, but I've chosen not to look at the health issues and mm-hmm. focus on the relationship. Uh, mm-hmm. But I feel like I'm I'm making some movement. Yeah. So that acceptance of just okay. This is the way it is. How can I make the best? Because we can fight. No, I want it differently. And if things are the way they are, you're, you can either be wishing they were different and really frustrated or say, okay, how do I come to terms with this? And in that acceptance, as Ajahn Sumedho says, his, his equanimity practice is, it's like this. Oh, it's like this. It's very simple. It just comes down to three words, very powerful words. It's like this. And now, how can I relate to that in a way that doesn't compound my, my suffering or suffering uh, of others? Yeah, how, how beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Now, right behind you. Uh, um. <clears throat> Something happened a very long time ago where... Real close. Oh, sorry, thanks. uh, Where something was taken away from me. And it took about six months to realize how, or to figure out how I was going to deal with that. And I came this close to quitting a particular situation. And what happened was I found a tiny kernel of reason to stay. And when I found that, I realized that my whole sense of my own expectations were off. I had to change my expectations. And in that little kernel, I wound up being a different person. Mm. And that was the transformative moment. And it was a happy ending, but uh, I found much more reasons to be there, more core reasons to be there, and I felt much better and more fulfilled afterwards. Mm-hmm. Isn't it amazing how life works like that? <coughs> oh no, not this. And just opens you up to other possibilities that you wouldn't have known. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Okay, maybe just a couple more. One and two over here. So, uh, let's see. Over here. And then over there, and then we'll go on. I actually had a question about, uh, um, is this better? Yeah. Um, A question about letting go of things in the future. Mm. Um, 
and not so much about like for example anxiety about the future but good things um, that might take place in the future Mm -hmm. so for example um, I like to look forward to things Mm -hmm. you know they kind of make my day or something a little bit to look forward to at the end of the day or next Mm -hmm. week or something like that Mm -hmm. and I just wanted to know your thoughts on I mean is that a bad practice? I mean, it's because I'm not, in, I'm certainly not in the moment, you know, when I'm thinking about that future and the good thing that might happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Okay. Uh, you know, I, I look forward to things. Uh, it, it's, it, there can be a delight in looking forward to things. But if it is your general um, MO, what's the next thing to look forward to? then you're going to be missing out on your life. Because even while you're there in the middle of it, it's easy to, to get into the habit of, well, what's, what's the next thing that, that, that comes? We sometimes or often we spend a lot of time in the future looking forward to the next thing and missing out what's here right now. As I, I tell the story in, my, uh, uh, in the book of Adam when he was about two and a half and we were... We were in uh, Yucca Valley, and he had this big bowl of strawberries. I was in the staff room with him in, uh, 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 at, at snack time, and I wanted him to, re- to eat it mindfully, and, and, and he was just kind of shoving them into his mouth. I said, Adam, chew, what, chew what's there. Just taste it. Just taste. He didn't want to hear any of that. And there's this one indelible moment in my mind. It's a huge strawberry in his mind. It's his favorite food, strawberries. It's a huge, huge strawberry. And I've got the bowl away from him. And he's going, strawberry! <laughs> and that's what we can sometimes do. I'm, so that's like the, the ultimate, you know, missing out on your life because you're looking forward to the future. Other than that, it's great to have something to bore you up and look forward to and just kind of delight in. It's just how much of the time you're spending there and how much of the time you're spending here. Here's a little practice that I, I like doing with people. Just imagine you're looking, something you're really looking forward to is right out in front of you. And if you can reach and touch it, you'll have instant gratification. Okay, so think of something right now that you're looking forward to, maybe leaving here and going home and having a good night or whatever, all right, or something in the future. All right, get something in your mind. Everybody got something? Okay, now indulge me in this. Just play along. Keep your butt on your chair or your cushion or wherever you are, and I'd like you to reach forward. Come on, really go for it. Come on, if you really want to go for it, and then you realize it's not going to happen, so now slowly... Come on back to this moment. And let your body feel the difference between this, which seems so delicious, it's going to be so good, but it's really off balance, and this, which is, oh, life is happening right now. This is where centeredness is. So. You want to delight in what you have to look forward to, but know that life is happening right here now, and you don't want to miss that either. So. And there was one last one all the way in the back. Then we should move on. And, uh... 
I, I'd like to go back just a couple of people ago. Um, I'm, um, I was raised Catholic, so I'm what you call a person who survived it. Uh, maybe. But um, all my life as a Catholic and as a religious, I heard, you know, suffering is what's going to make you who you are. You know, and you're going through a hard time, but, you know, that's what suffering does. And I hated it. And I still hate it. I hate those words. You know, you are who you are because of what you've come through. And so then I come in and begin to sit, uh, you know, in meditation. And um, did my first 10-day retreat some time ago. And then I hear the same things in this path. <laughs> and it sucks. <laughs> I don't, I, you know, because I really have uh, worked uh, to undo that belief system uh, and, and to say, you don't have to go through hell in order to, to uh, be a grown, awake person, you know. And it, a lot of that has to do with having spiraled down into the feminine and awakened on a different level. And so I hear it, and it really still sucks. Uh -huh. You know, you are who you are today because of what you come through. Give it up, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And okay. um, so maybe that's a whole other retreat, but that's something I had to get out of. All right, myself. thank you. Well, I have a course for you. It's called Awakening Joy, <laughs> and and the basic the ba what I've tried to do is just respond to that. It is absolutely true that we can grow from our suffering. But it's not the whole story. It's not that, oh, you, you know, go out and look for a whole lot of suffering so you can grow. The idea is that, uh, uh, the, from what I've seen, people who are really happy are able to be here for the hard stuff and not let it overwhelm them, but they're completely engaged and feel everything they feel and learn what they, they learn from it and also are here for all the beauty and celebrate as well. And rather than, I, I, as I think I said, I did say yesterday, I got stuck in a very serious place in practice. No, I didn't say it yesterday, but before. I, I became v dead serious about practice dead, with the emphasis on the dead, you know, and uh, thinking that somehow I, I tangled up the end of suffering with the end of living, and that I, I, it wasn't, I shouldn't, not, not consciously, but those, that subtle belief that I, I shouldn't celebrate life, which was a natural part of, it is a natural part of who I am, and then I saw, oh, that's, that's just a subtle belief. The Buddha said, experience all the happinesses. The Buddha said, go feel those moments of well-being and don't miss them. And really uh, develop and increase them. That you don't have to go looking for suffering. There is an end to suffering, actually. And it's the suffering, the mental anguish that we put on top of the pain, which is inevitable. And it is inevitable. Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional, as the, the, the story, uh, as, as the words say. So it's, it's, it's that you, you can be open for it all. And I think 
and there's been this movement within the Dharma as well as positive psychology and neuroscience in the last 15, 20 years or so that we can really allow ourselves to appreciate and become engaged with life. And the more we can, the more we have to give to life as well. So that's where I'm coming from. So I'll just say uh, a, a, a couple of things and then uh, we're going to have another treat from Kim Rosen and then we'll go on to our last um, uh, aspect of letting go that um, it deepens, it does deepen our compassion that when we go through our sorrows, when we go through our loss, we feel connected with the universal experience of loss and sorrow and pain Rather than thinking, oh, I'm all alone in this, nobody understands, just one little flip of the channel is, oh, I am experiencing the human experience of loss that everyone since the beginning of time has gone through and some right now going through in a very deep and profound way. And it connects us. So the suffering is what opens the heart, softens the heart, and can deepen our compassion. And as well, what it often does, notwithstanding in your comment, is when you go through your pain, when you go through your sorrow, you find a strength that you didn't know was there. Probably that might have uh, that that came to you as you thought of your lessons that you've learned. You say, I'll never be able to get through this. And then you get through it and you say, wow, I'm stronger than I thought. Wow, I have got, I've got more courage than I realized. Wow, I have more resilience. Wow, I've got a tender heart in here that can feel, wow, there's some clarity or some wisdom. Those are all the gifts in going through what you go through. And it's all a matter of the intention as you're going through it. Okay, how can I learn from this? How can I wake up from this? How can I let go of what I thought was so and open up to another way? So I'll, I'll first read a poem my, my, from my favorite poet, um, Dana Falls, about letting go. And then we'll hear some from Kim. Let it go. Let go of the ways you thought life would unfold. The holding of plans or dreams or expectations. Let it all go. Save your strength to swim with the tide. The choice to fight what is here before you now will only result in struggle, fear, and desperate attempts to flee from the very energy you long for. Let it go. Let it all go and flow with the grace that washes through your days, whether you receive it gently or with all your quills raised to defend against invaders. Take this on faith. The mind may never find the explanation that it seeks, but you will move forward nonetheless. Let go, and the wave's crest 
will carry you to unknown shores beyond your wildest dreams or destinations. Let it all go and find the place of rest and peace and certain transformation. That's down the falls. So, Kim, why don't you share? So you let me know, because you can keep going. There's so many. We have one more <laughs> section. We'll take a little bit of a stretch right after you, and then uh, Jane is going to lead us in the, the the last piece. Part of what I love about coming to days like this is that I, because for about oh I don't know since 1994 I've been learning poems by heart as a spiritual practice. And so I have a lot of poems inside me, and I have them running kind of like a subtitles underneath the teachings. <laughs> and um, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity for me to revisit poems that I love. I had no idea that the gate I would step through to finally enter my life would be the space my brother's body made. He was a little taller than me, a young man but grown, himself by then, done at 28, having folded every sheet and rinsed every glass he would ever rinse under the cold and running water. This is what you have been waiting for, he used to say to me, and I'd say, what? And he'd say, this, holding up my cheese and mustard sandwich. And I'd say, what? And he'd say, this, sort of looking around. I had no idea that the gate I would finally step through to enter my life would be the space my brother's body made. He was a little taller than me, a young man but grown himself by then, done at 28, having folded every sheet and rinsed every glass he would ever rinse under the cold and running water. This is what you have been waiting for. He used to say to me, and I'd say, what? And he'd say, this, holding up my cheese and mustard sandwich. And I'd say, what? And he'd say, this, sort of looking around. It's a poem by a wonderful poet named Marie Howe. Um, H-O-W-E. She's been quoted in Inquiring Mind, and she's a beautiful, many beautiful books out there, but this one is from a wonderful book called What the Living Do, which has many poems about the process of her um, meeting the experience of her brother dying of AIDS, and many other wonderful poems, too. In the uh, December of 2008, along with lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of other people, um, I lost my 
rather small nest egg to Bernard Madoff. And in the moment when I got the message on the machine, my voicemail, all I could think about was a poem by Naomi Shihab Nye. And uh, the poem really did sweep in and save me. Um, my book was already at the publisher, and it was already called Saved by a Poem, but this was like the final exam, and we held up the printing in order to put this story in the book. And the, bo and the poem came in as really a prayer that, that, that gave me a path so that that was a profoundly, and continues to be, a profoundly deepening experience rather than... Um, an experience of bitterness at all. Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment, like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go before you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness, how you ride and ride, thinking the bus will never stop, the passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you know the tender gravity of kindness. You must travel to where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead at the side of the road. You must see how this could be you. How he too is someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside. You must know sorrow as the other deepest thing inside. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it until your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. And then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes or sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is I you have been looking for. And then goes with you everywhere like a shadow or a friend. It's a poem called Kindness by Naomi Shihab Nye. It's in her book, Words Under Words. And she is a living mystical poet, as is Marie Howe. Can I do one more? This is from a collaboration between a dead mystical poet and a living mystical poet. This is Rumi. Um, wonderful poem called Undressing in collaboration with Coleman Barks. Learn the alchemy, true 
human beings know. The moment you accept what troubles you've been given, the door will open. Learn the alchemy true human beings know. The moment you accept what troubles you've been given, the door will open. Welcome difficulties like a familiar comrade. Joke with torment brought by the friend. Sorrows are the rags of old clothes and jackets that serve to cover for a while and then are taken off. That undressing and the beautiful naked body underneath is the sweetness that comes after grief. The hurt you embrace becomes joy. Call it to your arms where it can change. The hurt you embrace becomes joy. Call it to your arms where it can change. It's Rumi and Coleman together. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, something about poetry. Uh, 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 thank you. So, a um, little uh, stretch, just like five minutes, okay? And uh, if there's a long line, just come on back when you come back. But uh, come on back for the, the last part, which is uh, letting go as an expression of generosity. <clears throat> so, please. <clears throat>
So uh, we thought we'd, instead of ending on loss and grieving, we'd end on a, a bit uh, lighter note uh, and uh, explore the letting go that is really the, the culmination of, of the experience of being complete. You know, we can let go when we don't, f- when we are not, under the assumption that we don't have enough. When there's a feeling of, of, of abundance or a feeling of completeness and wholeness, the natural expression of the heart is to want to share. Generosity or dana uh, was the first of the perfections that the Buddha would teach, the first of the ten perfections. Even before meditation, before wisdom before morality even the the first thing that he would teach to lay people would be generosity because everyone knows how good it is at least on some scale uh, to share it is both the active expression of letting go and also the acknowledgement of the interconnection that we have that generosity of, of giving, when somebody is on the receiving end, there's a connection there. It's, a, it's the currency of our caring. I, I, I'll share one little uh, story and then, then let Jane um, um, share with you. Many years ago, I was on a retreat, uh, in, uh, sitting a retreat in in uh, Massachusetts, the, the fall three-month course, and I was, uh, I was assigned pot washing, right? They didn't, I didn't sign up for it. They assigned it to me, you know. And there I was with this mountain of pots in my, you know, uh, in front of me and feeling very sorry for myself, you know. Oh, God, I'm going to be late to the sitting, and this is too much. And in the middle of, of doing this, somebody comes, uh, the manager comes out of the manager's, of the staff room, and he sees me thinking that I'm doing my job so diligently, and he has something in his hand, something wrapped in aluminum foil, and he looks at me doing what he thought was my, my job so well, and he whispers, he says, here, this is for you for your good work. I thought, oh, he doesn't know. It's okay. I'm in silence anyway. And I kind of finished my pots and did them, and and I was so excited. And then I opened it up, and there was this big piece of cheese and glazed cake with nuts and everything you could want 
there in front of me. By this part of the retreat, an extra slice of bread was a big deal for me, right? And, the, and besides, it was big, right? So, and, and you feel kind of generosity that, that naturally comes out of you. And so I broke open, I broke my piece into four different pieces, and I put one in uh, three other friends' bowls who I felt connected with. In those days, we had our own bowls throughout the retreat, and you, there's not much else to do on a, on a three-month course. You know who's got whose bowl and who you feel close with. And so I put it in him, her, him. And uh, I came, I waited for, um, for tea time to come and see each person as their mouth dropped, you know. And one person took her piece and broke it in half and put it in uh, one other person's bowl, which was um, my dear friend and buddy, uh, Howie Cohn, one of the teachers here at Spirit Rock. I ate my piece of cake very mindfully, I can assure you. It took about a minute and a half, two minutes, and I extracted every morsel of good flavor I could from it. And then it was gone. But what why I tell this story is that now, 31 years later, I feel a connection with five other people through one piece of cake that's long gone. Jim, the manager, the three people I shared it with, Howie at the end. That's how generosity works. It's the currency of our caring. And if you think about gifts that you've been given or that you give or people who've given time or energy with you. You know, every time I pick up my cup in my bed, my bathroom, oh, there's Roger. Oh, thank you, Roger. Hi. Thanks. That's how it works. And it feels so good to give. That's why we need people to share things with at times, you know. You have a really great ice cream cone say, oh, you got to try this, you know, not too big a bite, but, but, but you've got to try it. Please, oh, go ahead, you know, because we, we love to share our experiences. And so now we'll, we'll explore this delicious um, expression of letting go of generosity. So uh, sometimes, as um, was pointed out by someone over here, I think it was you, um, sometimes we're asked to give and we, it just feels too much, you know? Or maybe, maybe it was a different topic. Anyway, we're asked to give, and especially in our culture, women, or in many cultures, women are asked to give, 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 be caretakers. Um, we're asked to be generous all the time. Men certainly are called upon too. But uh, sometimes it's, even though we have the notion that we should be generous, it's really can be quite depleting. And so I thought it would just be good to sort of flesh this out because um, at that point, you know, real generosity comes from the heart. And when it comes from um, guilt or something we should do, it's not quite generosity. And sometimes it's really important to pay attention to that cue and be generous with ourselves. Um, so 
another aspect of generosity for me is that, um, and this is the one I think you pointed out, that some people really have trouble receiving other people's generosity. It's just for some people, it's harder to receive than it is to give. Does anyone here relate to that? So I just thought we could have a few uh, words of wisdom from you. Why is it so hard to receive? Okay. Thank you. I'll receive that. <laughs> um, All the way. Thank you. What comes up for me right off when you said that is vulnerability. Mm. I feel um, when I'm giving, I feel strong. I feel vibrant, alive, all of those wonderful feelings. But when it comes back, I feel very vulnerable. I feel like the little girl. Mm. I feel like um, sometimes like, oh, is something expected of me now? Mm -hmm. That can get in there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, I guess that's it. But vulnerability was the the Mm -hmm. key word that really came up for me and, and all those feelings around it. Great. Thank you. Anyone else want to share uh, over here? I think it's related to the early messages of childhood. And the message I got was, you're on your own. Mm. So it's taken me... I won't point her out, but my soul retriever is present, and I'll be 73. I'm 73, and it's taken me many years to allow people to give to me uh, because of those early messages. Okay, so conditioning and vulnerability. Thank you, Olivia. Anyone else want to share? Okay. how I can phrase this, right? Um, I think for me, sometimes what comes up is the idea that I won't be able to be as good to you as you just were to me. Mm. And so there's some self-doubt that comes up when I receive mm. something. I can't yeah, just be open and receive it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a couple of weeks ago, there was a retreat or a day long up on the hill, and Rick Hansen, uh, the Buddha's mind, he gave the talk, <clears throat> and he had wonderful quotes and thoughts about receiving as well as giving, because he they were thanking the donors and the volunteers for mm-hmm. their work. So it was a gratitude um, day, mm-hmm. and he had PowerPoint presentations on receiving as well as giving, and so um, I wish I could remember the quotes. But really what we came to, what, what he pointed out, was that receiving is really an act of generosity towards the giver. And so it was like he was really opening our minds to the fact that we were in this wonderful day of, of receiving. And so, you know, and I had remind, remembered when I had given a gift and someone said, I can't accept that. And I asked her to please receive it graciously because this is really, this is something that will help her throughout her life, you know. So, um, but it was just a huge 
visit on how important it is to be a good receiver as well as a giver. Excellent. That was one of my points, so I'm glad you covered it. Yeah. Yeah, when we see how important, how good it feels to give, then, of course, there needs to be a receiver there to accept it. And when someone says, oh, you shouldn't have, you know, it, it doesn't feel so so great as, wow, thank you. you know? So knowing that, if we want to be generous with people, part of it is being able to receive their gifts, that the, something that they are giving us because they want to. Just uh, on a karmic level, the, the, the impact of a gift, the karmic uh, impact is, is dependent on the purity in the heart of the giver, the purity of the gift, and the purity of, in the heart of the person receiving. So if you can receive graciously, you're actually increasing the good karma of the person who's, who's giving. And if you don't, you're actually weakening it. So it's sometimes called being a field of merit for someone else's generosity to receive graciously. So now we're going to go into how into a variety of ways of being generous. Um, I remember when I did I did a three month retreat in 1981 uh, with James and other people, and then afterwards we went to India for three months, India and Sri Lanka. And by the time I got back from the whole six month of kind of change, which was really transformative for me, I thought you know, I don't want to have much to do with consumerism. You know, I just was like, ugh. And, you know, my, I had this kind of feeling of money was kind of tainted or whatever. <laughs> and, um, you know, it took me a while to come around to it's okay. It's okay to have money. And that's the kind of world we live in, that it's really okay. It's not un-Buddhist to have money or to make money. Um and in fact, the Buddha's advice was not to renounce all your wealth, that a person who's wealthy and uses it wisely is a blessing to all humanity. So I think it's really just, you know, are we, going, are we just going shopping or are we really supporting what we believe in? Are we making things thrive and blossom because we put our attention, which can include our money, there and giving it our blessing? Um, so I thought giving money is obviously needed and we, you know, people, this is how Spirit Rock is here because there's so many people that are generous with their money. That's one, one of the reasons it's here. Uh, what are some, uh, I thought we could just talk about what are other ways to be generous besides money? Time, yeah, donating your time. And along, of course, with your time is your presence. your presence, yeah. Yeah, good. What else? I have a friend in a nursing home, and I go there every week and bathe her. Mm -hmm. And rather than letting the CNAs bathe her, you know, and it's just... It's been the best thing I can ever tell you to go see this woman regularly that has Alzheimer's disease and just help her out. And it's the greatest.
is to, and it's so generous and it's she's so generous to me i mean and there was a man in the nursing home who passed away recently and he'd been there 19 years he was a local resident and he'd been in an accident as a young man and before he died i had the opportunity to sit with him and he would pull everyone into that room that walked by he was paralyzed and he brought so much light into other people's life because he would just wave them in and he couldn't say much and they didn't say much. But they had a memorial service for this guy and he was the most, I, I said to him, I said, you bring so much light into other people's life and you're just lying here in a bed. And he was doing that. And so he was like a volunteer or something and he, it was the most wonderful thing. So that was just giving a hand. I mean, that's all we did was touch hands. You know, wow. It's just great. Yeah. Good Thank you. Home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and what an incredible that you're pointing out you can be generous from any any position. Yeah. You know. Um any other ways that people yeah. With forgiveness. With for, yeah, that's a big one. Especially in the day to day harried situation, people cutting you off or thoughtless remarks maybe of colleagues. Um, to just be generous in allowing them their confusion. Um. Mm, great, Janet. Yeah. Forgiveness is a huge one. Yeah. Okay. Uh, another way of um, being generous is to really be in touch with your own strengths, what you are good at, what you really love to do, and being that in the world. Um, Martin Seligman, who a lot of you probably know, is the sort of the father of positive psychology. And one of his groundbreaking books in this area was Authentic Happiness. And if you go on the website, authentichappiness.org, you can go for a signature strength test survey where you answer a bunch of questions and it's free. And then they come out and tell you what, what according to your answers, what you're really strong in. And if that makes sense to you, what he's suggesting is use those. Don't try to be good in every single thing and, oh, gee, I should fix their car when you hate car mechanics. I mean, you know, use the things you're good at and go for it. And, and so that you enjoy what you're doing and you're doing it with other people or, or your contributions. Um, so we have generosity is just a huge gift. It's, there's a reason why the Buddha taught it first. It's, it's a gift to ourselves. It's a gift to other people. And it's so important as one of the pieces to bringing more joy into our life, to bringing more contentment, more peace into our everyday existence. And so we thought we'd do another guided meditation to explore the fruits of this practice. So if you get... Go inside. Okay. So just take a look at how does generosity bring you joy?
Okay, now I thought we'd, I'd give you a little time to again share with a partner. How does it bring, how does generosity bring you joy? If you need a partner, raise your hand and uh, here's, here's uh, right behind you. Who else you need a partner? Raise your hand. How does generosity bring you to Okay, so five minutes. Do we have enough time? It's 13. And then, then we were going to do... Oops. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.